you, Leon, for that introduction and those uh, those words. I it's encouraging if I hear people uh, speaking back the things that they heard, and if it if it uh, coincides with what I thought I was teaching, it's especially good. So I appreciate that very much this evening with uh, uh, John's uh, family. Uh, some of the children were were mentioning some of the things that they remembered from the different evenings of. of of study or time together, and that's a blessing. And it's a blessing if, uh, well, it's, it's, it's just, it's encouraging and it's, it's uh, heartening. Uh, is Sophia here this evening? How's it going to be 10 years old? Is it working out for you? Huh? Is your birthday today? But it's, is it pretty good? Have you had a good day? Would it be okay if we'd sing happy birthday for Ben? Why don't you go ahead and leave that out? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sophia. Happy birthday to you. Well, I hope this next year will be a good year for you, okay? Very well. And I'd like to give another little bit of an update. Uh, I think my ear is finally clearing out. Uh, John called in a prescription for me yesterday afternoon, and this afternoon, I think it was at some point when I was trying to uh, clear out a bit, there was some kind of strange noise, you know, like, whatever going on, and uh, I'm not sure it's quite right, but it sort of sounds from the front uh, that, I mean, it sounds sort of like it's supposed to when I'm talking, so I'm excited about that, and I want to thank you for your prayers and, uh, and praise God for that. Okay, as Leon reminded us of the different things we talked about up into the evenings leading up to here this evening, tonight I want to talk about the church's The Fruitful Garden. And I don't know if that's a quite an accurate uh, title for it, because I don't know is what we consider a vegetable garden or a garden today is really that there's any quite that parallel in the uh, in the scriptures. But there's different scriptures that talk about this kind of a subject and uh, scriptures that we can kind of. Uh, latch on to or, or get a hold of, uh, what are the ones that you think of that speak into growing and planting and nurturing and stuff like that? If you were going to be preaching Leon or, or Milo or someone, what do you say? The vine and the branches would be a, a good place to, uh, to latch into, and we could go there, and there's there's tremendous lesson we could take from that. Rich, My, uh, Milo, who else? Ricky John, the sower. The sower went forth to sow. And we talk about the uh, the uh, parable of the sower. And maybe it would be just as well to talk about the parable of the soils. I don't know. But uh, uh, that's those are ideal. And those would be the two that would come kind of rise to the top as I think of where, where would we grab a hold of, of talking about this. And I actually will probably be, I mean, I plan to be using the one with the soils and the the uh, the sower, that kind of thing. 
But I want to do a bit of introduction to that subject before we get into it. Uh, Judy and I, and by now I've probably let out some family secrets. I don't know if you think you know us by being here in these last evenings, but that's fine. I mean, I'm interested in, uh, in having you understand more where we're coming from and those kinds of things. We live in Kansas, and in Kansas they don't, uh, I, I don't know, how many people live in, in Virginia here? What's the population? Oh, no, you all, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'll go with that one, that's fine, <laughs> I suspicion that. But uh, what's the population of Virginia? I'm sorry, I wasn't clear, don't, don't, don't think anything of it. Uh, anyone know? I'm not real sure what the population of Kansas is, actually. I think it's uh, between 2 and 3 million. I'm assuming you have, what, 15, 20? What? Is it just 7, 8, or 9, somewhere in there? Okay, it might not be as much bigger as I thought it was, uh, I mean, uh, population-wise. What do you say, John? Are you going to let him buy with that one? How's that? <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. And it's not important. I mean, it's it really, I'm just, uh, I, I was just going to lead into saying that Kansas is, is fairly sparsely populated in some comparison to here. It's interesting. So we're going somewhere for a meal here. And we go a while and we say, okay, here's a house and here's another house and there's a house on the other side. You go around and crest that next hill, and there's some more houses here, and there's more. And uh, I think in Kansas, where we are, we would tend to go a while, and we'd, you know, pass, okay, so we're kind of getting on the outskirts, and it's going to get thinner and less and not as many people. And uh, here you just kind of run into the next community, it seems like, and you just kind of keep going, which is fine. I mean, there's nothing right or wrong about it. I'm just saying that. Where Judy and I live... Uh, our land is divided in typically in square miles. It was set out that way. It's fairly flat. It's fairly level. Rich lived out there for, what, five months or something like that? And he knows what I'm talking about. Square corners, north and south roads, east and west roads. Take your choice, one of the two, basically. And they're square, and they're miles. And so you go a mile, and you're at the next corner, you go whatever. But depending on where you are, there aren't... Uh, miles at every crossroad, that kind of thing, if there's a creek that comes through or if you're getting out kind of in where there's not much population. Anyway, we live in a pretty rural area. I think our first closest neighbors are around a mile away. Uh, the square miles that we live on, there's actually two together because there's a creek that kind of goes in between. We're the only house on that, on that block. Uh, <coughs> But we like it there. I think Rich today was asking, do we hear coyotes? And I think you could probably almost every night, if you listen at the right time, maybe when a train goes by five, six miles away, you could, uh, you could often hear, hear coyotes. Well, on that farm, we like to plant a big garden and, uh, and raise fruits and vegetables, those kinds of things, for our family. And uh, on the farm, we grow alfalfa, we grow wheat, uh, oftentimes, and we keep a few beef cattle. And there is a special joy to be involved in a successful harvest. Uh, which one of you are still 
involved in, in like, uh, uh, crop farming. Milo, you work now there at the farm. Are you still delving as well, right? Okay. Others? Okay. Uh, there is a special joy in being involved in a successful harvest. If you pull that combine into the field and you see those heads of wheat are, are thick and they're well filled and they're, and, and just that joy of seeing that grain pour into the, into the tank, there's a special joy about that. But there's so many things in a temporal harvest, a harvest of grain or a harvest of forage or a harvest of whatever we're getting that are dependent on powers beyond ourselves. This past year, in 2022, we had a very, very dry year out there in Kansas. It was a difficult time. Uh, we planted wheat last fall, and it was very, very dry in the wheat. It was in, in the ground. It wasn't like there was a lot of moisture there that we could tie into. Finally, it's time to plant wheat, and... Uh, this isn't the first time this has happened in Kansas, but people, you know, okay, what are we going to do? I think we're just going to go ahead and plant it. There's even this saying that's, I think, supposed to make farmers feel good that says, plant it in the dust and your bins will bust. <laughs> anyway, so we planted in faith and planted in dust last fall. We still haven't gotten a significant, significant amount of replenishment of that sub-moisture, but it looks better than it did at, at one point. There's a very real sense that there needs to be a divine component if we're going to have success with our wheat crop, with our grain crop, whatever, especially where we live. And I think Delvin would agree that even here, that's important. But in a much more real sense, the divine component in the spiritual garden is so critical and so important. Kind of before, in, partly in introduction, before we get into the message this evening, I would like to look at, uh, at one point. Uh, John 12, verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now that's one of those sayings that takes just a little bit of interpretation. I'm guessing that some of you that have been preachers for a lot longer than I have, have wrestled with that passage and, you know, how do I make this really practical? Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Have you had to wrestle with that one, Leon? Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. And I think there's a sense that uh, <clears throat> in this context that Jesus, when he was giving this, was uh, predicting his death and what he actually would be going through soon. And in that act of death is where life would be possible. And in a very real sense, that kernel of wheat... Uh, that hard kernel of wheat that you grind or have ground into flour, uh, it, it's, when they grind that into flour, it's, it's like a, 
I don't know what. It would be more like a soda cracker than a cooked noodle. Does that make sense? It's something that, that, that can, you know, shear against itself or shear against the, uh, the cutters in the mill, and it can and be broken apart. <clears throat> well, if that corn of wheat, and if we could say just the kernel of wheat, if we're going to say it that way, except the kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, and there's a sense when that kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, is the process when that kernel of wheat is no longer a hard shell of wheat. When that kernel of wheat gets into moisture, moisture and there's enough warmth there, and that soil is there and around that, and it starts breaking down and it gets soft. And that uh, germ on the inside that starts pushing out. And as it loses its shape, as it loses its identity as a kernel of wheat, is when it can change its identity into a stock of wheat. And in that change is when it can become useful, it can become fruitful, it can become uh, uh, helpful to bring forth more life. Well, if that kernel of wheat would have volition and a will, that kernel of wheat might say, you know what? Say what they want to. I'm not going to go for that that concept of this dying business or this changing shape business. Not going to do it. Not every uh, kernel of wheat that we planted last fall came up. Not every spiritual kernel of wheat is willing to make that move to become willing to die. And Jesus is saying it, I think, in a very real way about his personal death that he was willing to take and that he was willing to do. You know, if as that kernel of wheat splits open and as it sprouts, it is starting on its journey to fruitfulness. The old seed loses its shape and form it has died in that sense. It's lost its distinction as a seed. And only in that death can the cycle of fruitfulness begin anew. Spiritually, it's humility and brokenness that make fruitfulness possible in our lives. Pride, self-preservation stand firmly in the way of that work happening in our lives. As we die to self, we unleash the potential of becoming fruitful and fruit-bearing. Uh, I think we talked about this in one of the early evenings. I don't remember which topic. As individuals, we tend to be self-sufficient and we tend to be proud. It takes courage to admit that, Milo, I'm not making it too well. Could you help me, brother? Could you help me? I'm, I need your help. We have our own agendas and our own goals. It's about me. We want to look good. We want to be the hero of the story. We orchestrate the scenarios. We think we see where we fit in the story. You know, we find it easy to identify pride in other people. It's pretty easy to see, isn't it, Rich? That guy is so full of himself, it's repulsive. What's a little harder is when that pride is in ourselves and how difficult it is sometimes for us to identify that in ourselves. 
You know, some of the most useful men in Christ's kingdom are those who have been tried by fire, and they come forth as gold. You know, I think of Job in the Old Testament. Can you think of a person that had a more difficult road to hoe than Job? And yet Job hung in there. I think of Moses. I may have referred to him earlier this week. I'm not sure. Who chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses. I think of Saul, Paul, and the difficulties, the things that he uh, was willing to endure and how God was able to use him in the foundation of the church. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament, uh, sold by his brothers, and the way that he, in brokenness, in humility and whatever, could come forth and be the person that God could use. What a wonderful thing. Pride. It can stand in the way of us being useful. Brokenness can be there, dying to ourselves, and be a way, a catalyst for us to be useful in the Lord's service. You know, a person may have many faults and weaknesses, but if he's truly an humble man, it's easy to overlook those faults. Conversely, a person may have many strengths and gifts, but if he is a proud man, it's hard to see and appreciate those gifts. Chew on that one for a bit if you want. Hard times are a fact of life. We all face hard times. Do you face hard times, Michael? How's that? It's a fact of life, exactly. I think everybody here could point to things that, you know what, that was a very difficult experience that we went through. It wasn't something that we would have welcomed. Maybe it's something that, uh, you know, on a congregational level, maybe it's something that happened in your personal life. Maybe it's something, a, a, a health compromise. Maybe it's something uh, with your family or a family member. Those difficulties, those can be very, uh, very difficult uh, situations, hard times. They're a fact of life, Michael says, right? We all face difficult times, but those experiences can make us better or they can make us bitter. It's that same boiling water that softens a potato or hardens an egg. It's that sharp grain of sand inside the shell of an oyster can become a beautiful pearl. That same sharp grain of sand in the paw of your farm dog can fester and become all full of pus. You know, it's not too much fun, at least I don't find it, to be faced with my shortcomings, to be faced with the things that I need to work on, faced with things that God wants to work on in my life. But there's a real sense that brokenness, dying to ourselves, is what frees God's power to work in our lives. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But in that act of death, it can start on its journey to fruitfulness, and it can be a blessing to many, many people. The parable of the sower. <clears throat> this parable, uh, or if we want to call it, yeah, the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, 
recorded in three out of the four Gospels. It's not a complicated parable. Jesus explained the parable in some detail after he finished telling it. You know, it's a place that we can find ourselves, each one of us, somewhere in that parable. And it's interesting, as in some of the other parables, there's maybe different places that we actually can plug ourselves into the parable. And I think this is one of those ex exactly that way. Why don't we stand and let's read from Mark verse four, uh, Mark chapter 4. <coughs> Hearken, behold, verse 3, I'm sorry. Behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed. Some fell, some fell, excuse me. Some fell by the wayside, and fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them which are with that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the seed, and these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, uh, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. You may sit down. Okay, let's identify the different parts of the story. What are just the different physical parts of the story? Let me be your third grade teacher now. What are the different parts of the story? The sower, okay, or the farmer, fine. And what else? What are some of the other components? The seed, okay. The ground. Okay, let's just uh, quickly throw out what, what, what types of ground. The stony ground. The soil. Is that what you said? Okay, the, like, let's say that's the, the good ground, the really nice ground. Okay, who else? The thorny soil. Okay, what else? 
wayside, okay? It might even been on the pathway, the road, I don't know. Is there one more? I think there was one. The shallow ground, the shallow ground. Okay, very well. <coughs> okay, we've kind of identified the components now. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's name the components. Okay, who is the sower going to be? Who's the farmer going to be? Who said that over here? Who's the farmer? God or Christ? Who said that? Okay, I think that's a possibility, and I think that's even, uh, we can even widen that one a little bit if we want to. I think it could be anybody. Anybody who is sowing the seed, and I, I hope we can grab that definition tonight because I want this message to impact all of us that are here tonight. Okay, very, very good. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, what is the seed? The Word of God. I think it says it in that many words almost, right, John? The Word of God. Okay. I think Matthew maybe uses the Word of the Kingdom. Uh, Luke, I believe, the word, of the, uh, the word of God. Okay. Now, what is the soil? We said there's five different kinds of soil. What is the soil? The heart condition of people. Okay. And uh, the people in Lynchburg... Virginia Beach, people on Mars, okay, the people on Earth, okay, humankind, and not just out there, it can be in Esther's heart, it can be in Judy's heart, it can be my heart, okay, the hearts of humankind, the different types of soil, and it's, it's pretty much spot on, I think, for how many different possibilities there are in in this uh, in this uh, in this scripture in this parable well yesterday I rode with brother Milo and he was in a tractor and we rode around and around the field we didn't ride a lot of circles around that field but behind that tractor was following us a drill and the drill was supposed to be following in a pretty straight line. He had this little screen on the side which was supposed to keep him from I mean, going really, really straight. And that drill was a grain drill, and he was sowing, was it red clover or crimson clover? Red clover. Overseeding into some wheat and some pasture ground. Okay. Very well. So he was involved in a very real sense, physically planting the seed, okay? My first point as we look at this is to harvest, you must plant. To harvest, you need to plant. You know, there was a man who farmed in the quarter just east of where we are. We talk about then quarters of ground, and it's like a quarter of this one mile square, and that was a typical way that that was divided. If a mile square was 640 acres, and then a quarter of that was 160 acres. So a, a, a big farmer might ask another one, well, how many quarters do you farm? And he might say, you know, he has 10 quarters or whatever the situation is. But the man who farmed just east of me was a man uh, who was pretty slow about doing his farm work. 
Others will be around. He, he lived a ways off, in fairness. I don't, I mean, I should be, be upfront about that, maybe. And he's not here anymore, so it's not, uh, it, I'm making a point, but don't take it personally, okay? Anyway, others would be preparing the soil. They'd be working the ground while Bill was nowhere around. Often, long after everybody else was done planting, Bill would finally show up to plant his crop. When it was time to harvest, the rest of the farmers may have had their combines cleaned up, put away back in the shed, when Bill finally showed up to harvest his wheat. You know, Bill didn't have a real good crop, didn't typically have really good crops, even though he had soil that would potentially have been able to, to, to uh, have decent crops. If you want to harvest, you need to plant. You know, people can complain about the, their churches. Things, there's just nothing happening in our churches. Churches aren't growing. Things aren't going like they should be. Are you planting your seed? Part of that you hold in your hands. Are you, are you doing your part? <clears throat> you know, there's many ways that that gospel seed is planted. He uses, I'm assuming, the, the word picture would have been with people that maybe had a bag beside them, and they'd be reaching in there and getting a handful of that seed at each time and be stroking that out there, I'm guessing. But that's how, how are ways, there's many different ways that we can plant seed as we go about our, our, uh, our lives. And I will probably spend, I don't know, maybe the most of the evening talking about ways that we can plant seed or ways that we can sow seed. And, uh, and probably sometime, I don't remember where all this goes, but uh, sometime talking about our responses to the seed in our heart and those kinds of things. One way that we can plant the seed is by the spoken word. We share directly with someone about what God can do in their life. Another way is just by our example. Do people see you as a kind person who loves them, someone who's genuinely interested in them? People in general aren't drawn to Christianity by force. Uh, there are some of those groups that are very strident with the things they stand for and the things that they are against. There was a group from Kansas, I'm embarrassed to say, that created tremendous scenes at abortion clinics and those kinds of things. It did not seem like a redemptive uh, witness at all. Uh, it's genuine love accompanied by a meek and a quiet spirit that draws people to Christ. And I think there's ways that just our, our, our uh, personality, our demeanor, our facial expression, our whatever. I don't think I'm a real warm fuzzy. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Okay, I don't think I am. Just leave it there, okay? Uh, my wife, on the other hand... Uh, there's something about her that I think people find inviting and not really threatening or whatever. I can go on an airplane. I can travel for a long, long time. I can be just fine. I know in today's day and age, people, a lot of them kind of like to be left alone. In a lot of ways, I'm fine that way too. If Judy's alone, someone may be chatting her up. I don't think she's necessarily reaching for it. And it's amazing. You can get a lot of stories in a 13-hour flight or whatever. And uh, just this last trip that we were on, it was a pretty extensive trip, uh, left in January and came back first part of this month or middle, whenever it was. And uh, different times, Judy would be off alone somewhere or I needed to run off to get something or whatever and come back and, 
I was usually talking with someone again. Somebody struck her up, or maybe we went on a kind of a nature thing, and she didn't want to hike as far as I wanted to hike, and I went on up, and I came back, and there, there's Judy again. I kind of had almost this joke about it with the phones. I'd kind of whip out a picture, and I send it off to our family group chat. Mom's at it again, or something like that. But I think really there's something beautiful about that. If we have a, a demeanor, a uh, What's the term I used just a little bit ago? But anyway, if our expression is an inviting, a warming expression, that kind of thing. Uh, just the consistency of our walk and of our testimony, that's very, very important. If we say one thing and do another, people will be confused and not likely accept the gospel. It's important that our lives match up with what we profess. You know, people may know that we profess something different, but if they see we live just as selfishly as everyone else, they will not be convinced. There was an older retired minister in our community, and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a theologian particularly. He wasn't necessarily a really good teacher, but he was a person who had, a, had this concept down. A lot of times he would say things like, Oh, that was really a nice ring that the Lord gave us. Or, you know, the Lord protected us from accident and harm, and this was really, you know, those kinds of things. I remember talking with a, with a young man probably, I don't know, maybe 35, 40 years of age. He was talking about this older man, and he said something like this, and, and this man by now is descending into a fair amount of uh, confusion and kind of dementia. Yeah, my boy was there the other day, and he asked him six times how old he was or whatever it was. But then what he said, and this was not a Mennonite man, well, I don't know, he might be some little liberal Mennonite man, I don't know, said something like this, but he loves the Lord, and he doesn't mind talking about it, and that's good enough for me, something like that. And you know, I think that's pretty, pretty decent testimony, pretty decent testimony. In simple ways, he would sow the seed as he went through life. Other people might, and we're not using checks as much as we used to, they might put a little Bible verse or something like this, Jesus saves on their check when they write a check and they pay for something. Well, think what that will do if you're taking advantage of someone in a business deal and you hand him this check and say, Jesus saves. You think, hmm. He saved a bunch, but Jesus didn't have anything to do with this transaction. A check, I mean, something like that, something simple like that can help remind us and kind of keep us, keep us on our toes. Uh, I think that we can uh, be very, that can be very helpful. Some people pray specifically for opportunities to share God's good news before leaving on a trip to town. Uh, <clears throat> It's wonderful to know how God answers some of those types of prayers. And the right kinds of contacts in the right situations. There was a time, I don't remember, a year and a half ago, I don't know when it was exactly. Uh, these contacts can bring surprising blessings. I was at the grocery store, and I was kind of hustling around. I think we had a, I had a trip coming up. I was leaving for Haiti or something. And... Uh, the cashier, just making conversation, nice, you know, friendly man. Uh, how's your day been, or how's it been? What's what's going? I said, 
something like this. Oh, it's been kind of hectic. I'm trying to get ready to leave. Oh, you're leaving? Uh, where are you going? I'm going to Haiti, I think I said. Oh, really? What are you doing there? Is it a mission trip? And he, yeah, yeah, you know, kind of <laughs> whatever I said. And he says, uh, what's your name? My name is Lowell. Okay. I'll pray for you when you're gone. And uh, talk about a, a random cashier at the grocery store. And how, how, what a kind of a blessing that can be. We can sow seeds in relationships that we build with our neighbors. I won't always be quoting Bible verses to my neighbor. Trust me, I don't uh, necessarily. But there's often ways that you can kind of direct the conversation a little bit. Somebody might be uh, complaining about Man, how old I'm getting, and it seems that, you know, things just don't work like they used to or whatever. Yeah, you know, the Lord gives us one shot at this deal. And it's kind of important that we make the right decisions as we go through there. And you can kind of, you know, just kind of move a, a conversation in that direction. We plant seeds in our day-to-day -day in, uh, interactions. We had neighbors, kind of neighbors, and I don't know if you would call them neighbors here, uh, a couple that lived about five miles away from us. And I wasn't too sure where these people stood with the things of God. They had a small farm, and they wanted, uh, somehow we got started where I would take some, uh, uh, a few cattle over there on their small pasture, and uh, the lady really liked it if I could take cattle with, uh, that had baby calves or whatever, and she enjoyed looking at that and watching about it. She was a very personable sort of a person, both of both of them, probably in their upper 70s, I don't know, 70s to upper 70s by then, maybe, I don't know. And when I'd stop in periodically, maybe they were out in front of their house, the west side of their house, a couple of, of, of seats there, we might sit there and visit for a while, maybe as it was getting, the sun was going down in the west, that kind of thing. Maybe if it was the winter, I'd go in and we'd sit around the table and we'd talk. You know, come on in, Lowell. And, uh, and we'd uh, talk about a lot of things. And it might have been religion eventually, you know. How do you feel about this or, you know, whatever. And it was, as I recall, at some point fairly on toward the end of some of this relationship, she said something about, well, she thinks if people live by the Ten Commandments, that that's, a, you know, like that would be a pretty good thing or a pretty good way. I don't remember. We interacted. We were back and forth. And uh, another way that we try to sow seed is, is uh, for quite a few years, we've been going around kind of around the neighborhood. And we live kind of off on the edge of the Mennonite community. We're kind of, we have almost a different set of neighbors and interactions. Some of the people that live right in the middle of everything might not have many non-Mennonite neighbors, for whatever that's worth. Anyway, <clears throat> so we will at Christmas time, us and another family have often gotten together. We've gone around and we've sung Christmas carols at these places, and we often let them know ahead of time. And it might be a uh, business contact, someone that I've done work for. It might be... Uh, might be just a neighbor, it might be whatever. And Judy and maybe the other lady will often make kind of a plate of goodies and we go there. My thought is kind of, you know, if they're not really into the Jesus stuff, 
if you're going to be singing for them and spreading a little cheer and end them with a you know hand a plate of it's going to be a little hard for them to say uh, would you please get off the porch you know that kind of thing anyway <clears throat> well uh, and these Dan and Jan were one of those people that we would sing for. One day, maybe four years ago, I don't know exactly when it was, the phone rings and Judy answered it. They actually moved off of that little place in the country and they'd wondered if I would consider building a house for them or what we could do. And we, I ended up, oh, they ended up in, a, in like a retirement community. Uh, they're not so terribly far away, South Hutchinson. But one day the phone rings and Judy answers the phone. It was a conversation, something like this. Hello. Oh, hello, Dan. So how's it going? Not good, not good. Jan's in the hospital and the doctor said she's not going to make it. Well, we quickly made plans to go in and see them at the hospital. We got there and Dan was really quite distraught. He was upset. He was he was anxious. This wife of 50-some years, probably, was in there in a room in the hospital, and she was probably not going to make it. Uh, he really wanted that Judy would go in and talk with her. Our daughter, Christy, was with us. Christy had worked with uh, for them uh, doing some house cleaning, and they were very partial to Christy. Christy had a nice personality, and they really enjoyed her, and, and she enjoyed them. So Judy and Christy went back into the room, and I stayed out, and I was there with Dan. And uh, while they were inside, Dan was close, sat close to me, and we talked. We visited. And he said there, as we were in that conversation, Lowell, are you a pastor? And I answered in the affirmative, whatever. Would you consent to having the service for Jan? Well, meanwhile, Judy and our daughter were inside, and uh, to see Jan. Jan was on oxygen. Her face was behind a, a mask. This was before COVID even. And at one point in their conversation, they could converse through that mask. Judy asked, Jan, are you trusting in Jesus? And Jan had kind of a way about her. She was sort of uh, a little that way. And she nodded her head very emphatically. When Judy came out to talk with Dan, well, then both of us went in and I prayed for her and we had some more. I don't remember all the sequence of events. But Dan was very, very curious. What did Jan tell you? And Judy recounted some of the conversation. It was like a, a load had lifted, I think, off of him. Well, apparently a uh, uh, chaplain at the hospital had talked to her and uh, and helped her walk through a sinner's prayer or whatever. But I think for Dan, it was like, I want somebody that I trust to go talk with my wife and see if this actually has happened or what the deal is. Probably three, four days later, I don't know, the phone rings again, and this was Jan and Dan's son. Uh, Jan is over at hospice, and if you want to see her, you better come. By the time we got there, she had already passed. 
as you go, you can sow the seed. And it won't always happen that way. It's not always that, that simple. More recently, a neighbor, the man who farmed right across the road to the north of me, a man younger than me by about six years, struggling with his health a lot. He was also one of the neighbors that we'd go around, we'd sing to, a man who had a very difficult life in a lot of ways. He was married and probably 30-some years ago. His wife left. I think she was going to run to the grocery store and grab a few things to finish supper. This Dave had a good friend, and Dave's friend was Johnny. And Johnny was heading north on Centennial Road and these wide-open intersections. You're not used to expecting that somebody will come across. If you ever come to visit us, we have unmarked intersections without any stop signs or any yield signs. The people from out of state come through and and you're supposed to be looking out, right, Rich? <laughs> when you get to those intersections. Anyway, very sadly, his good friend, one of maybe I don't know if it's his best friend, Johnny was coming from the south, and his wife and their only son was going east, and they collided at that intersection, that intersection of that collision took the life of all three of those people. I can't imagine what kind of trauma that would have done to a person. And for Dave, it was a very difficult situation. Well, in the last year or so, Dave was having a lot more health problems. He had this edema, I guess you would say, his fluid retention, and he would swell up. He was a big man already, and I don't know what all the particulars was of, uh, of his health condition was. But he struggled. They would go in. They'd be able to pull this down. Anyway. We would go to visit Dave and to, I mean to sing for Dave at the uh, at the uh, in our Christmas caroling. Now Dave's father is in his 80s now, and his father's had an awful lot of health problems. And they had a sizable farming operation right there. Oh, back in probably in April, I think on a Thursday afternoon or a Thursday sometime, I called. I'd heard that John was in the hospital, and I was kind of worried about it. But I kind of hated to call directly to John, so I, I'll call Dave and see what I can find out. So I called Dave, and he was telling me about John and about uh, what his dad's situation is, and he kind of updated me on the condition and that kind of thing. And as he went uh, farther in the conversation, about to wrap up, and Lowell, you're not going to believe this, but uh, you're not. Anyway, I'm up here, too. So he was on one floor of the hospital, and his dad was maybe on the other floor. I don't know. Oh, really? I'm sorry. And when we would talk, I would I would say, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll, you know, I, I kept talking about that. I don't remember if I ever prayed over the phone. I think that used to kind of scare me, but uh, it's not a bad thing to pray in the phone, on the phone for somebody. It's not a bad thing to pay, pray for somebody when you run into them in the grocery store. People might look at you a little strange, but that's all right. Uh, you, can, you can bless people that way. Anyway, I think it was that following Saturday, the phone rings, and I kind of say, oh, John, okay. Lowell, uh, Davey died this afternoon. Okay. It wasn't a real good conver a real good connection, but I was pretty sure I had heard right and that he had called and he was telling me this. And, and my, 
my mind kind of starts to turning and where do we go from here? What do we do? I think that was a Saturday and was it the Sunday morning? Uh, Judy, could you fix a couple of uh, uh, like baked dishes or something that I could take over and drop off for his widow and uh, his father? And in that conversation, tried to express some condolences and, you know, hey, we're here and whatever. Anyway, uh, I think it was the next day, Monday, probably, the phone rings. I look at my phone and I see Elliot Mortrigger. And, uh, hello, Lord, yeah. Lowell, this is uh, Sonia at Elliot's, and I know her fairly well through other connections. I'm kind of the go-between on the funerals that we have in our church or whatever. We're meeting with the Griffins, and they'd like if you would officiate at uh, Dave's service. And I'll admit, I didn't, it didn't really surprise me. I mean, I kind of expected it almost by then with what David said and, and whatever, and just kind of had that, uh, that premonition. Oh, Lord, what do I say? for someone that really are church people, good people in a lot of ways, but uh, how do we, you know, bring some comfort to the family, but how can I be there without preaching kind of a gospel message to, and we prayed about it and uh, felt like the Lord gave direction uh, that I could honor the memory. I got a bunch of memories from the family and had kind of a nice time reminiscing through some of those things. And a, a, a complication when you're having sort of a mixed uh, service like that is, you know, when they want to play, oh, I don't even know these artists. Is it Gil One More Day or an, uh, another angel in, at the, around the throne tonight or something like that? Anyway, whatever, that's, that's what this is for. But... Uh, <coughs> In that message, then, toward the end of the message, but as a preacher of the gospel, I want to leave you with more, and whatever, and kind of tried to identify with the problems that all of us as mankind face, including Lowell Miller there on West Clark Road, you know, right around where some of those people would live. There was, I don't know, maybe, I think Sonia felt maybe it could have been 400 people there, I don't know what. And, uh, and the Lord had kind of provided an illustration. I think the day before, a calf and a cow had gotten separated. And when they get separated from a fence and they just don't get back together, it can be kind of a major thing. I was able, I think it was the morning of the service, I'm not sure, to orchestrate to get those back together. And we saw the beauty of the reunion of that relationship when that estranged calf had gotten together with its parents kind of use that as an illustration and uh, encourage people to, to, uh, to find that. Well, John was very, very appreciative of the funeral, and uh, oh, so many people talked about how it was, you know, I mean, that's beside the point totally, but it was like, as you go, sow the seed in the open doors for other seeds to be sown. And I feel kind of responsible right now, half compromised. John was in the hospital himself. When I left, I think, and visited him there several days, a week before we left. I don't know, and I wouldn't be surprised one of these times I get a call that uh, Mrs. Sonia at Elliot's there, you know, or whatever. I don't know the situation, but 
We need God's wisdom in those kind of situations. But God can open doors. He can make ways that we can spread the seed, that we can sow the seed. Soil preparation will affect the harvest. Uh, it's related to the last one. Uh, if a person's heart is being prepared for the message of the gospel, there's ways that that can, uh, can make a, a natural entrance. But if you're going to be grabbing a guy by the scruff of his neck that's sitting, uh, you know, a drunk or somebody that's holding a, a sign asking for money, tell him, hey, you need to be praying the Lord's the, the sinner's prayer here. He's probably not going to be real open to that. If you would come by a time or two with some hot soup or a, a burger from Wendy's or something like that, you might start building <laughs> roads, building bridges to connect to a bowl of chili. The Holy Spirit needs to prepare the soil. Uh, you know, we can plant our field crops. My synopsis was being with uh, Brother Milo yesterday. You looked like you had ample moisture. That no-till drill was was uh, sticking those seeds down about the right distance below the surface. I really think you should be able to have a good crop of red clover coming up through that field. The Holy Spirit that prepares the soil of the hearts of people can make that heart receptive to... Um, to the gospel. There are hindrances to God's word taking root, the seed by the wayside. One time I was planting there at uh, close to my place. I pulled out on the road, and I think I had rented a drill to use at that time. And as I was going down the road, I happened to glance back, and I saw that the mechanism hadn't disengaged. And I was still planting seed as I was going down the road. Now you tell me, Milo or Delvin, if I had alfalfa seed that cost $6 a pound and I planted it there, could I expect a pretty nice crop? Delvin says no. I'm with Delvin. You know, roadways aren't made for growing good crops. Soil preparation is what's important. Uh, seed by the wayside. Seed that doesn't even penetrate the soil. The birds that come and snatch that take off with it. Have you ever thought of it that there's birds that kind of hover around the Sunday morning service sometimes? Maybe it's your baby that won't hold still. <laughs> Maybe it's those eyelids that are just going shut for you. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe it's just a thought about your next week's work or your last week's failures that are playing around in the back of your mind. I think there's a sense that little birds come and show up at a service. They try to snatch that seed before it gets inside your heart. The seed on the stony ground, people that get excited about it, but they haven't counted the cost and they're not there for the long haul. Uh, the seed choked out by thorns and thistles, a lot of competition. There's a lot of things that are... are uh, are fighting for the competition. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. We talked about riches uh, one of these earlier evenings. 
Uh, we talked about some of the wood, hay, and stubble in the American church, and it's, it's, it's something that the, the prosperity gospel has gotten as much uh, traction as it has. If you sometime just decide to make a study of it, look at all the verses in the New Testament that talk about wealth and riches and our relation to them, and it's pretty sobering. There's just not a lot of support for the wealth uh, wealth and wealth gospel, the name it and claim it gospel. Uh, <clears throat> there are people I have started recently, and it was partly a convenience thing and partly, I don't know, it's just kind of an interesting thing, but there's a gas station on the road leading out West Forth in Hutchinson. I don't know if you remember those roads or not, but it's just kind of a half-seamy little sea store, but they often have fairly cheap gas. I've worked in there sometimes for a little gas in. It's not even one where you can swipe your card out at the pump. You have to go in, you know, and uh, and it might say no checks. I don't know what all it says, but it's your classic C-store in, in, in that way. Uh, you stand back, and there's other people coming up, and give me two packs of Pyramid uh, so-and-so, and give me three of those tickets over here, and give me, you know, whatever. Uh, the allure of that... Powerball or that winning, that something, that lottery that will just put me up over the top. And uh, that is maybe as classic. I don't know if this is classic. It's, it's a very classic scheme that what you think you're getting and what you are getting. Well, number one, most people don't get a thing out of those uh, lottery tickets, or a lot of them don't. And even those people who win these million dollars, Two million dollars, or what are some of these big ones getting up to over a billion or something? Is that right? Before taxes? I don't know. I mean, it's not that important. But some of the life stories of those situations are very tragic, very sad, very. Uh, it, it's almost like a curse that comes with that money. People that got that money that they didn't work for. How complicated it makes their life. Who was it back there that was talking about the soil, the good soil? What a beautiful thing it is to plant that seed in the good soil. And that good soil is the soil of our hearts. And to see how that can grow and bless and be a blessing to other people and how it can bring forth uh, a hundred times of what he was sown, what was sowed. There's a tremendous joy in harvesting a good crop. It's a pleasure. Spiritually, it's such a pleasure to see when people respond to the gospel. I've mentioned different times, talked about India. Anyone up to speed on what India's population is? I think we're around 1.4 million, a billion, I mean. I'm saying that right? I think that's right. And I think there's, I mean, depending on what you're citing, that they may have just passed excuse me, China in the last uh, several months, possibly, I don't know. And uh, India, if you do the demographics, uh, the percent of Christians, and that would probably include Roman Catholics, I don't know what all for sure. I think it's between 2 and 3 percent, they say, but just for round figures, we'll say 2 percent. Do you think in just mathematically, 
if we would say each one teach one, each one reach one, uh, if we would do that and say every believer would win another believer, do you think we could see all of India come to Christ in a year's time? I mean, a year's time, in our lifetime, I'm sorry. If we would say in one year, each believer would get one other believer. You think it could happen in a, in a lifetime? What do you think, Ben? Let's do just a little exercise real quickly. I mean, it's not, and to be fair, it's not a, a likely equation, but just mathematically. Yes, I think in a lifetime very comfortably, about seven years. There's 2% this year, 4% year two, 8% in year three, 16% in year four, 32% in year five, 64% in year six, and 128%. So you get a bunch of Pakistan yet too, or whatever, in the seventh year. Just mathematically to say. And so if God's people uh, even just would catch that as a challenge, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting concept, interesting to think about. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about planting being a united effort. Uh, remember there, it sounded like there was some infighting. Who do I belong to? Am I with, uh, with uh, Quill and Priscilla? Am I with Paul? Am I with who am I with, you know? And it's like, Paul, you know what? Quit your fighting about this thing. It doesn't have anything to do with it. It's actually not really about you. I mean, about me or about him. It's actually God who gives the increase. And it's a beautiful thought about that. The increase must come from God alone. God's garden is a united effort. There's someone who plants. Maybe Leon plants on a Sunday morning. Maybe whoever is planting on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's your Sunday school teachers. Maybe it's Mama and family devotions. Or maybe it's Mama when you're coming uh, tomorrow. What was that guy trying to say last night in church? What did he mean by all that planting in the dirt sort of thing or whatever? I mean, there's... There's ways that each one can be planting and helping with that, uh, with that united effort, that crop. <clears throat> fruit, moving on, fruit is the result of a growing Christian. Now, I was in Delvin's greenhouses the other day, and uh, I'm not real up on tomato culture, but I like tomatoes, and Delvin knew I liked tomatoes, and he sent some over to us there, so I have some tomatoes, and, and Mary Sue, I think, sent some bread to make sandwiches, and... Anyway, so tomatoes, I think, have a good part in the Christian home. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, I like tomatoes for whatever it's worth. Well, I didn't see or hear, overhear any of those tomatoes conversing in your greenhouse the other day. He, he's shaking his head. He doesn't think he's heard it either. Huh? <laughs> okay, let's say there would be tomatoes that would talk would converse, okay? This is just an imaginary exercise, but we have English-speaking conversant tomatoes, okay? So one tomato asks another, and he says, tomato, what are you, hey, brother, what are you going to do today? I'm going to make me a big tomato. I'm going to make me a, a tomato for my master, okay? What kind of a tomato? I'm going to make a, a red one. He likes red, okay? And uh, what Cherry tomato, what are your, what are your thoughts? A grape, uh, aroma, uh, 
plum tomato, what are you, what? Big red slasher. Okay. So that's what you're going to do today. Yep, you're going to do that. Got tomatoes there, and he's going and going, whatever, however, tomatoes make tomatoes, tomato plants. Is that is something like that or not? <laughs> well, okay. We say, how ridiculous. How ridiculous. If tomatoes could plant, that would be, I mean, they could talk, I'm sorry. That would be one thing. But the kind of, what, what else is kind of ridiculous about that word picture? That if it's some effort that the tomato can go through to produce a tomato, fruit is the result of a growing Christian. Fruit is the natural result of a healthy plant. Fruit happens. When conditions are right, fruit is the result. John 15, verse 16, I think it's a living uh, paraphrase. I appointed you to go and produce lovely fruit always, so that no matter what you ask for from the Father, using my name, he will give it to you. I appointed you to go and produce lovely fruit always. Galatians 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. 23, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. You know, today in some of the churches, there's a lot of emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit. I remember being in a service in Nicaragua one time where there was a very, very strong emphasis in one of the manifestation gifts of the Spirit. And the pastor in that congregation seemed like a fine young man, but it was like he just couldn't get this gift. There was some frustration, and I was kind of uncomfortable being in the service. Michael back there, Michael Grubb. Grubbs or Grubb? S. Grubbs. He was talking about being over in Asbury and uh, the wonder of that, uh, of that revival there that they were having there. And I was wondering about, what about the, the manifestation? Did it seem like there was a fairly uh, calmness about it or, or whatever? And he, it was like, I didn't sense that there was anything that was way off the wall or that kind of thing. It came to me, and maybe I even it came to me through help, I don't know. The manifestation gifts, if you study them, and if you see them practiced, and if they're practiced with a fairly significant disregard for the instructions that God gives in His Word on for their practice, I think there are there's room for manifestation gifts, but I would say that brings a, a caution up in my mind. Someone said this, and I think it helped me to understand. Uh, manifestation gifts can be imitated, and unfortunately, that has happened already. But it's very hard to consistently manufacture love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Fruit is the natural result of a healthy plant. And fruit does not necessarily come. I mean, we need spiritual disciplines and spiritual exercises and that thing. 
but I'm going to conjure up this love, joy, or peace, this big red tomato somewhere. Fruit is a natural result of a healthy plant. Fruit produces after its kind. I think it was last evening that we talked about the uh, John 3. Was it last evening we looked at John 3? Okay. I don't think we looked much at verses uh, 5 and 6. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There is a sense that in, and I don't know how much of this we talked about last night, but the natural first birth is where we take on the genetic blueprint of our parents. It's what made you Rich Bowman. I don't know, what was your mother's name? Minerva, but what was her surname? Minerva Souter and Mr. Bowman married, and this is what happened, or what Anyway, this is their, their son. My mother was Mary Beachy, and my father was David Miller, and I'm Lowell Miller. I took the genetic blueprint that they gave to me, and that's what, I'm, what I have. It's, it's what you got, okay? <laughs> and uh, so here John, or Jesus, is talking and explaining to Nicodemus, but the new birth is a birth of the Spirit. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Are you getting where I'm headed with this thing? <laughs> does the concept grab you? What does that tell you this evening? Am I stretching the point to say that now, as Christians, is there any. Okay. Now, as Christians, I'll just say it, and then I'll try to make some disclaimers if there's anyone uncomfortable. <laughs> that now, as Christians, we've been, I'll just say, we've been injected with a new set of DNA. You follow where I'm going with that? Our earthly code, that... Uh, David and Mary gave me by virtue of being my parents. That genetic code, in a way, has been overwritten by the genetic blueprint of the Heavenly Father. Does that make any sense? We who were programmed with the unfruitful works of darkness, now being empowered, to go and produce lovely fruit always. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. Doesn't always happen. But the potential is there. Except ye be born of the Spirit. How does it say it there? That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. You know, if we think of it that way, it doesn't seem unreasonable that God would expect to see a little fruit now and then. You know, our garden needs to have regular maintenance. My wife and I both enjoy gardening. We start out the year with high expectations. Judy and I, I think uh, she's off, I'm thinking. 
what are you thinking? We really don't need that much. We got quite a few things down in the in the jar cellar. Uh, and I like back to this kind of reaching out. I like when we can have produce to give away. I, I like to say, let's dig some potatoes and maybe some new onions and we'll go down and drop these off. Or I wonder if Fleet of Barney wouldn't like if we could drop off some whatever it is, and then maybe it's sweet corn or, or whatever. But we tend to end up with a lot more than we need for whatever it is. But we enjoy gardening, but we have high expectations. But what tends to happen, and I don't know, with you and Lowell, probably it's not an issue at all, but uh, toward the end of the season, our zeal might kind of back off a little bit, okay? You ever heard anything like that happen? And it's not like they're calling from K-State up at Manhattan and wondering if they could do a field day and they'd like to come look at our garden. Not necessarily, okay? <laughs> our garden needs regular maintenance. A weedy garden doesn't become weedy overnight. But the longer they let go, they'll let go. The longer they can, they can cause problems. Uh, I want to look at one more thing yet. <clears throat> I'd like to tell you a story. Um, so we farm, we live on that. I mean, it's a small farm, but we live on that place. And we've been there for quite a few years now. When we got there on that place, uh, we had the west field, the field that was west of the driveway and whatever. And Milo and Mary Sue have been there already. Has anyone else been to our place? Nope, that's fine. Uh, <clears throat> And then on the east side of the road, or east side of the, the house, east side of the building is another field. It's a pretty good, I mean, a, a fair-sized field. Then down at the south end of the place is where the pasture is. And we have a lane that comes up to the buildings where the cattle can come up to get water and that kind of thing. Over there west of the house, um, when we got there to that place, my dad started farming that place back in 1968, I think. He was renting it for a while, and eventually, through a series of events, we ended up with living on that place and, and uh, having that place now. Uh, but out in that field was a tree, just a little ways out in the field. Now, I don't know if trees in fields are a problem here in Virginia or not, or how do you decide if it's a problem or, or whatever. Uh, uh, some people have trouble relating to it. <laughs> but uh, there was a tree out in the field, and this tree was kind of a problem. So if you were combining wheat, if you had something out, you could kind of get a reel caught up in there maybe, or if you had your auger out on the combine, you might have been tempted to catch it. Or if you, did you work field when you were in Kansas that year? Okay. If you were taking an implement back when we used to till our fields, we still do some, anyway, why uh, the harrows might catch in there and catch some weed seeds and kind of scatter them across the field. And you had to be careful if you came with a wide piece of machinery not to get in too close to those trees. Those trees were just kind of a pain. Well, finally... <coughs> After we had bought part of we bought the place in kind of two different hitches to make it a little more palatable, whatever. Soon after we were, or at some point after we were there, you know what? I want to push out some of these trees that are just kind of being problems. And I got an excavator in, a guy with a big loader, 
Randy, I'd like you to go back there. I want you to push that tree down. And I think there was maybe actually a couple of trees together. I don't remember. They'd been there quite a while. And Randy took that loader and he worked and he worked. And he got those trees so they were finally loose and he was able to push those trees out. That was quite a big wad of dirt clay that came up with those trees. It left a big hole, a gaping hole. But we were able to fill it back in and to kind of smooth it over and uh, burn the trees or did something with it, I don't know. And later as I'd farm over that piece, it was just such a blessing. I didn't have to worry about catching anything. I didn't have to worry about weeds growing up there. I didn't have to worry about the combine. I didn't have to worry about a harrow behind an implement. It was such a blessing. You know, you would have kind of wondered, why didn't you do that before? How nice it would have been if that had been done before. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about a root of bitterness that's springing up, defiles you. And it's in the context, I think, of Esau, some of the decisions that Esau made. There's a sense that in the soil of our hearts, we can let trees like those elm trees grow down in and day by day they're working their way deeper into the soil of their hearts. They're tying up productive soil. They're giving a sheltered place for weed seeds, for trash, for things to grow in our hearts. You may ask, why do we let those things grow in our hearts? And you may say this, first of all. That's all right. That's over in a small corner of my heart. My heart's pretty big. I can grow my crops in other places. Or we may say, why would a person ever want to leave those things growing in his heart? I think there's several possibilities. One is, you know what? It's going to be too much trouble to get the excavator in. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt to get in there and tear out those trees down by the roots. It's going to be painful. Or Actually, in many cases, protect those trees. We like when those trees stick around. That can give me a place to hang my problems. My problem that I'm facing isn't the problem of my own problem that I'm facing is because of my dad. There was something about my dad that just made it difficult. And I maintained that tree in the soil of my heart. I have something to hang my problem on. It was my dad. He was my second grade teacher. It was my big brother. It was 
one of the ministers, and whatever the situation is, uh, this isn't my fault. And so we protect that tree. We let that thing stand. Well, even in our hearts, there's a tremendous blessing when we go with the radical surgery and we get that machine in there and we get that cleaned out. But there can be a lot of injury, a lot of pain, a lot of hurting when that happens. There can be a lot of healing that needs to be done. I think of a time when we had faced, felt like we'd faced some misunderstanding and some wrongs. And as we rehearsed those things, it was like we were kind of watering the tree, taking care of it. What we needed to do was to deal with it. You know, Ephesians 4, I think it is, 26, maybe the second part of that verse. Someone tell me what that says. I think I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting it right, pulling it out of my head. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Roughly how often does the sun go down here in Virginia? What do you think, friend? How's that? Once a day. And you know what? That's a pretty good word picture. Kind of keeping things up to date. You know that tree that was an elm tree? Do you have elm trees here? Nope. Yes? Some? Okay. An elm tree, do you know how they grow? That was another story. Basically, trees go straight up. No, that's fine. That's, that's good. The elm trees start from a little seed. In the spring of the year, we'll often have seeds about this size. It's smaller than a maple seed. It's actually just a whole lot the size of a shirt button. And on the right here, there can be elm seeds all over the place. The right conditions, the rainfall comes. You can have elm trees growing as thick as the red clover that you're trying to seed in those fields over there for Merle and mine. Probably. And you know what's interesting? When those elm trees are that size, you can reach down with your thumb and forefinger and pull up a forest. You leave those alone. You might be calling Packer Bush excavating to come and leave those trees out. Now then, one other thing, and I'm going to let you go here just to wrap up. What if you're the one that says, you know what? I don't really need to deal with that. We're talking about the productiveness in the garden of our heart, okay, just so you get the connection that we haven't gone, you know, clear off the, off the deep end. <clears throat> Those of you that are saying that, you know what, I'm not sure that's necessary. What he's recommending sounds pretty radical to me. I think I'm going to just grow my crop off at the other end of the farm. 
which one of you, Ricky, do you have any good athletes in your school? That guy's a good one? Okay, good, great. Okay. I want to I wanna get a, what I want you to do, what's your name? Winston. Okay, that's great. <clears throat> what I want you to do is hold this ball up like this, Winston. job with that. Everybody agreed it's a pretty good job with holding that ball up. Is there any of you who think you could do it better? Nope. Okay, Winston, you're good. That's the first set. I got a couple more. What I want you to do is hold that ball up. What do you think? Got potential as an NFL quarterback? Is he doing a pretty good job with that? Okay. Winston, you're doing good. You're a good man. What I'd like to have you do next is another thing. You did real well with the basketball. You did well with the football, even if it's kind of a little one. What I want you to do is just hold both of them. Okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, yeah. Just on top. Don't be running all over the place. No, 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 one hand. That's the problem. You might. You're fair. Try it the other way. Put the fat one down first. I actually do it the other way. not supposed to work at all. <laughs> in Matthew, in Jesus' words, he talks about us accessing his forgiveness. And what is the prerequisite for accessing his forgiveness? Forgiving other people. That illustration, it's basically holding on to unforgiveness or receiving God's forgiveness. We have a choice. It's somehow like those two things cannot coexist. You have a choice. You can hold on to the football. I like it if it was if the football was a little bigger, but I was digging through that box back there or that tote, and that's what I found. Anyway, to be fruitful, we need to die to ourselves. If we want to harvest, we need to plant. If we want a good crop, we need to plant in prepared soil. Planting is a united effort. Fruit is the natural result of a healthy plant. We've been engineered to produce God's fruit. Let's keep our garden maintained. Let's clear out those roots of bitterness in our gardens. Together, let's plant. Let's grow. Let's produce fruit. 
Let's harvest. Dear God, we thank you for your presence here tonight. Thank you for this uh, challenge that we could receive from being fruitful soils, fruitful gardens, and being uh, actively involved as farmers in your field, in your kingdom. Thank you for the attention of the people here this evening. If there's anything that's helpful, pray that you would carry it through, carry it home, and that the uh, Holy Spirit could bring to our memory the things that uh, you want us to, to hear, to learn. And uh, we just thank you and praise you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name.